Welcome to the Vision Podcast. We hope you enjoy this message. For more information about this podcast and everything happening at Vision, visit us online at visionnwa.com. Man, I, you know, I was able, last week was the first week that I was able to be back with you and able to be back and preach, and so it was, it was a lot of fun. I really enjoyed it. Um, but this morning, I feel like God has been tugging on my heart with something in particular because there's a, there's a lot of fear going on right now in the world. I mean, it's rampant, and, and I would venture to say it's more rampant than the pandemic is. Okay, I mean, it is. And, and when you think about Satan, and I don't like to give Satan any credit. I don't like to give him any stage time. Um, but the Bible says that we're not ignorant of the devil's devices. And so you have to talk about it a little bit so that we're not ignorant because we don't want to be ignorant, do we? You know, God has all these good things that he's created. Well, the devil, he doesn't know how to create. He's not a creative being. He is a created being, but he's not a creative being. That's why he has to try and work through people. He tries to get you to say things. He tries to get you to create for him. And so all he can do when he said, I'm going to rise up and I'm going to be like the most high God. What does he mean by that? The only thing that the devil has the power to do is to imitate, to take what God created and pervert it. Does that make sense? So God created faith. He's given all of us the ability to believe, the ability to have faith. And so what does Satan do? He takes faith and he perverts it and tries to turn it into fear. I mean, his strategy is pretty simple. I'm going to be the exact opposite of God, basically. Everything that God does good, I'm going to try and turn it for evil. But God is a lot more powerful than the devil. How many of you are thankful that he is? <laughs> and so, so anything the devil can do, God can do better. Because the only thing the devil can do is only what he's seen God do. Because he can't create. Does that make sense? So let's, let's, read, let's read a scripture first of all. Turn over to Matthew chapter 17. So here's, here's fear's goal. Fear's goal is to kick the legs of your faith out from underneath you. Because the devil is afraid of two things. Two things. He's afraid of you finding out who you are, coming into the reality of who you are, realizing who you are, a son and a daughter of the living God. And the second thing he's afraid of is your faith. That you would believe, dare to believe God. That you would dare to trust what God says more than what other voices say, other than what the enemy says. And you remember in Matthew chapter 17, there was this man that had a demon-possessed son. He brought him to Jesus' disciples, and he said, please, can you cast the demon out? And the, and the disciples tried, and they couldn't cast the demon out. And so then they brought him to Jesus. And so Jesus rebuked that demon. The demon came out, and look at what it says in verse 19, it says that the disciples came to Jesus and asked him privately, why couldn't we cast the demon out? And here's what Jesus said. He said, because of your unbelief. You could say because of your little faith. Right? For, assuredly I say to you, 
If you have the faith of a mustard seed, you will say to this mountain, move from here to there, and it will move, and nothing will be impossible for you. Well, how many of you know we live in unprecedented times? <laughs> right now, I've heard some people say that. My cousin actually posted on Facebook, and he posted, I'm ready to get back to living in unprecedented times. You know, unprecedented times. Well, what do we need in unprecedented times? We need unprecedented faith to carry us through and to believe. And so the disciples, they come to Jesus and they say, why, why couldn't we cast it out? And he said, because of your little faith. Well, pay attention to what Jesus said, because even if you have mustard seed faith, he said, even if your faith is so small that it's the size of a mustard seed, he said, you'll be able to, say, you'll be able to speak to mountains and they'll move. And nothing will be impossible for you. You say, well, Phil, I don't, you know, I don't really have a lot of faith. How much faith do you have? Let me tell you how much faith you have. You have enough. Well, Phil, how do you know that I have enough? Because sometimes I don't feel like I have near enough. Well, because of this. God said, I will not allow you to be tempted beyond that which you are able He's not saying that the disciples have mustard seed faith. He called their faith little. There's a lot of le different levels of faith. I think we've misunderstood sometimes that mustard seed faith is somehow the starting point. No, the Bible says that God has given everyone the measure of faith. That means you have a measure of faith. And here's the good news is that you can grow your faith. In Romans 10, 17, it says, it says faith comes by hearing, hearing by the word of God. So when we feed on the word of God, our faith begins to grow. I remember uh, in 2011, leading up to 2011, um, there were three years that I really focused a lot on understanding healing. I grew up in a, in a faith-filled church, and I grew up really believing in healing and believing that it was possible. I'd seen some miracles happen. I'd seen some legs grow out. I'd seen some people have some encounters with God. But I wanted to believe it for myself. I wanted to understand it from the word. And so I began to study and began to pray and seek God about it. And it was three years that I was studying about faith. And we were, at that time, we were pastoring a church in Louisville, Kentucky called Summit Church. And in 2011, in January 8th, my mom experienced a massive heart attack. Well, how many of you know it's different learning about faith and needing to apply it in a situation, Right? And when she had, her, when she had this uh, massive heart attack, it was 16 days later that God miraculously healed her. She walked out of the hospital. But during that time, during the fight where we were, you know, we're going through and experiencing all of this uh, challenges, I saw God's word change the situation. We were downstairs when we checked in. And when they operated on her, they moved us to another waiting area. Well, I noticed downstairs that there was a Gideon Bible, so I grabbed it. Because, you know, when you run out of your house to take someone to the hospital, you don't have time to grab your Bible. And at that time, I didn't have the Bible on my phone and yet. And so I, brought, I grabbed this Gideon Bible, and we had just, Dad and I had just come from the room where the doctors had given us the bleak news. You know, news comes. But here's what I've learned about God and faith, is faith has the ability to change the facts. The facts were that mom was experiencing a massive heart attack. 
So we got back to the waiting area, and all I knew to do was pray. And so I began to pray, and I, was, I always like to walk when I pray, and I was walking back and forth, and I was beginning to pray, and my dad was sitting over in the corner. And I walked this way, and I prayed, and then I turned, and I walked back, and my dad looked straight at me, and he said, Phil, why don't you go home? You're not doing any good. And I just thought, well, that's pretty nice to say. I mean, you know, I'm praying for mom, you know. But I thought, but before I could really think about what my dad said very much, the Holy Spirit spoke to my heart. Aren't you glad when he speaks to your heart? He said, he said, you've already prayed. Now stand. So what did I do? I sat down. That's kind of opposite of standing, but I, but I honestly, I was going, Lord, help me. I don't, know, I don't know how to stand. I don't know what you want me to do. Teach me to stand. Because I had read in Ephesians where it says, having done all to stand, stand. Well, that's one thing when you read it, what does it mean? I said, Lord, show me how to stand. And I looked, down, I looked in front of me, and there was that Gideon Bible sitting on the coffee table. And he said, there's your answer. So I grabbed the Gideon Bible, and I began to flip through it. I began to look for scriptures about what mom was going through, what she was experiencing. And because at the time, her heart was not pumping the way that it needed to pump. And the doctor had let us know. He said, listen, I, I, we're doing everything we can to keep her heart rate up, but it just continues to come down. He said, it's going to reach a point where she's going to flatline, and... I, he said, I'm just, I'm warning you now. And, and so I found, I found a scripture. And I read it out loud to dad. And then dad found a scripture. And he got on the bandwagon. And he, and he read one to me. And then Nicole called me. And she had one. And we were praying for mom's heart that it would pump the way that it needed to pump. And so I was looking for scriptures that had to do with the heart. And I was so excited when I found Psalm 57.7. Because it said, my heart is steadfast, O God. My heart is steadfast. That sounds like a heartbeat to me. Two times in a row. And I, I found that scripture. I said, Dad, look at this scripture. Psalm 57, 7. My heart is steadfast. And do you know the next morning, her heartbeat was a little stronger. The only change that we saw overnight was that they couldn't find her heartbeat in her foot. They look in the foot. They, you know, they take her, the heartbeat in the foot because what happens is whenever your body is experiencing something like a massive heart attack, everything leaves the extremities and it focuses on the heart. It focuses on the area that needs help. And so it's, a, it's really cool how God has designed our bodies that our body just rushes to these areas and tries to help. And that's what was going on. Well, that next morning, the doctor came to me and he said, your mom has a strong heartbeat in the foot, in her foot. And he explained to me what I just explained to you. And I went, glory to God. Man, I gave dad five after that. I said, that's the first manifestation of God's full healing in my mom. You say, but Phil, the, the, the facts are different. The facts say that she still has a, I mean, the majority of the opportunity is that she'll probably still die over here. I mean, she's on a ventilator tube. She's got all these other things happening all at the same time. I mean, the report is, is that 
there's a strong probability that she's still going to die. But wait a minute, God is teaching me how to stand. And so we continued to look for scriptures. And do you know, we wound up with 40 different scriptures that we were standing on and believing during this season, during this time. And we took those, 40, we, the, those scriptures and we made a plaque out of them. We printed them out and put them, you know, and got them framed. And we gave them to mom on her birthday. Why? Because we want to remember, we wanted to memorialize the great work that God did in her life. He healed her. But see, we have a choice to make. We have a decision to make that we're not going, are we going to believe the report? Or are we going to choose to believe what the word says? Because right now, what's going on is there's a lot of reporting going on. And people are believing the report. Why? Do you know that psychologists and psychiatrists have figured out that if you say something often enough, people will believe it? So let me ask you a question. If you had a best friend and they, they lied to you, not only once, but they lied to you twice, and then they lied again, would you begin to be a little suspicious over the things that they tell you from that point forward? Would you? I mean, I think, honestly, you would, wouldn't you? Why? Because they're lying for some reason. They lied about this. Let's say it's not your best friend. Let's say it's a person that you, that you met <laughs> and that maybe they work with you. But they lied over and over. Would you trust them? It's, it's a simple question. It's not a trick question. Would you trust them? It's okay to answer. No. Okay. Thank you. <laughs> I'm just looking for a little help. That's all. <laughs> and so you wouldn't trust them, right? But yet we have sometimes reports that are even proven false. And we hear the report, and, but yet we, we hear the report has been proven false. And, and there's no retraction. There's no correction of the report. But yet, because we have listened to that for so long, we continue to go back and listen to the reports. And, and we don't, it doesn't, it somehow doesn't register that if they lied about this and they lied about this and you've caught them and you, and you know that it's not always going to be true, then wouldn't we begin to question? Wouldn't we begin to look for another source? Wouldn't we begin to go directly to the person that the story's about and hear what they have to say? Okay, there's a reason I'm, and I know I'm venturing out here, but Jesus help me. Um, because we're living in these unprecedented times right now. And we need to be thinking about our heart and guarding our heart because if you have a tendency to believe things that you hear the most, don't you want to filter what you listen to? And I think we should filter what we listen to through the Word of God. Why, Phil? Well, because God is not a liar. My Bible says that God is not a man that he should lie. That means he is incapable of telling the truth. If God is incapable of telling the truth, and I'm sorry, uh, telling a lie, what did I say? Telling the truth. Sorry, flip that. 
Okay, <laughs> thank you. <laughs> but if he's, if he's incapable of telling a lie, then man, we should be listening to what he has to say, amen? And so let me talk for a moment about, a little bit about fear. If you have your Bible, turn over to 2 Timothy. 2 Timothy. Man, it's a good idea to have our Bibles, yes. isn't it? Second Timothy chapter 1, look at verse 7. It says, For God has not given us a spirit of fear, but a spirit of power, love, and a sound mind. So this is number one. The first thing that we need to realize about fear is that God has not given it to us. He didn't give us the spirit of fear. What does that mean? The word spirit is interesting. The word spirit means mental disposition. And then fear, when you, when you look these up, when you look up the word spirit, you look up the word fear. Um, in the Greek, it means timidity. A mental disposition of timidity. Hmm. And I just said that the greater pandemic that we are experiencing right now is not the virus. It's the fear. Because the fear is far outweighing the virus. It's causing people to make interesting decisions. And whenever you're in a situation where you panic, you begin to make different decisions about things, you know? And if you continue in a mental disposition of timidity in your mind, your faith won't work. This is the challenge. Why? Because you're in fear. Bill Johnson made this statement. He said, if you spend more time in, on social media than in the word of God, your discouragement is self-inflicted. I want to alter that a little bit. If you spend more time watching the news, then your fear is self-inflicted than the word of God. Hmm. One of the easiest ways to get into fear is to take an expert's word for it. Zinger, man. Proverbs 9, verse 10 says there this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And the wisdom that you need to live free from fear is in the word of God. It is. You know, I talked a little bit about mom's heart attack. And I wanted to make this statement that we never denied. Faith is not denying something exists. Okay? Coronavirus exists. COVID-19 exists. It's here. Right? Um, and so we never denied that mom had a heart attack, but what we denied was its right to take her life. And so we don't deny that coronavirus is here, but we deny it voice and power in our lives. And I'm going to tell you how to do that, okay, this morning. So that's the good news. All right? Number two, I want, we need to realize this about fear, that God is only good. Turn over to John chapter 10. Come on, if you got your phone, got your device. John chapter 10. In fact, you know this one probably by heart. John chapter 10, verse 10 says this. It says, the thief does not come except to steal, kill, and destroy. These are the only three reasons that he comes. He doesn't have any other plan. He doesn't have any other strategy except to steal, kill, and destroy. But it goes on to say, this is Jesus talking. He says, but I have come that you may have life 
and that you may have it more abundantly. Abundant life is a good life. And I know this may seem like basic, elementary, fundamental, 101 stuff, but so many people miss this. God is good, the devil is bad. Well, God used, you know, that sickness to teach me. No, God doesn't use devil's strategies to teach you. He sent, that's what he sent his word for. That's what he sent Jesus to do. This is the instruction book. Not your sickness, not your pain, not your suffering. What happens for many people is they allow it to get to that point. I got I to gotta back off of that and stay on track here. So how do people yield to fear? Turn over to Job. Job chapter 1. I want to show you something out of the book of Job. And this is something, honestly, I hear people preach about Job, and I hear them talk about Job, and I, I don't hear this brought up all that often. And I thought it was so interesting uh, to me. In the book of Job, Job chapter 1, and we're going to start in verse 1. And it says that there was a man in the land of us. His name was Job. He was a man that was blameless, upright. He was a man that feared God, and he turned away from evil. He had seven sons and three daughters. Sounds like my neighbor, plus one. And also, he had great possessions. In fact, he was the richest man in the East. So here is this wealthy man. And his sons would have a feast, in verse 4, on their special day or their appointed day. What does that mean? That means their birthday. And they would invite their sisters to come over and they would feast together and they would have a great time. And back then, parties lasted a little longer than the two hours that we do here. You know, they would last for a day, two days. It would last for a time. And so it was that when the days of feasting, see days, of feasting had run their course, that Job would send and sanctify, consecrate them, and he would rise up early in the morning and offer burnt offerings according to the number of them all. For Job said, now listen to his wording here. Listen to what he says. He says, it may be that my sons have sinned and cursed God in their hearts. Thus Job did regularly. Wait a minute. It's a birthday party. We're getting together, celebrating birthday. But notice what Job said there. Now, notice this, that this is not an action based in faith. This is an action based in fear. That's the difference, okay? Because things done in fear never produce God results. All right, notice. So here's what happens. Uh, if we jump ahead to Job chapter 3, you remember all these things happened to Job, right? He lost his family lost all of his wealth, his businesses. But he made a powerful statement in Job chapter 3, verse 25, referring to what's happened. And I want you to look at that. Verse 25, he says this, For the thing that I greatly feared has come upon me, and the thing that I dreaded has happened to me. Another translation says, What I dreaded more than anything has happened to me. See, to, to greatly fear something means that you meditate on the probability of it, the possibility that it could happen to me. All right, I'm going to give you an example of this here in a minute. But you allow the concerns to cause you to act in fear instead of faith, and that's when your actions don't really make a lot of sense. 
begin to not make sense. See, when you yield to fear, you give it the right to work in your life. And the enemy doesn't care how small you start. He just cares that he gets a door. He gets an inlet. Just crack the door. I don't know about you. I was thinking back when I used to run through the house with my friends. And I, and I did something to them, you know, and had to run to my bedroom and I slammed the door. And, and then you're holding the door closed. And they're trying to turn the knob, right, to get in the door. And they happen to turn it just enough that they can get that latch to release. And then they start to push the door open. And then you're at a disadvantage. Why? Because you're trying to keep the door from opening. You're not the one pushing the door. And that's what the enemy does is he's just looking for that crack. Because if there's a crack in the door, what's a crack, Phil? Well, I'm, I'm their mother. It's natural for me to be concerned. Fear. It's natural for me to worry a little bit. Fear. It's fear. You're opening the door to it. And I'm telling you, if you give him an inch, he'll take you a mile. There was a lady that we worked with. There was a lady that we worked on staff with at a, at a particular church. And I remember talking about her daughter going out on her first date. And she went out on the date with this guy. And they said that they would be back by a certain time. And they didn't come back at that time. This doesn't look good. First date, you know. And so she was, she was already concerned. And she said she began to think about all the possibilities, all the probabilities, all the things that could happen. And she began to get worried and began to get concerned. And she began to pray, God, just protect my little girl, God. I mean, and she began to pray all these prayers. And she said, the Holy Spirit stopped me. And he said, quit praying that way. And she said, why? He said, because you're praying in fear. Fear prayers don't yield results. You got to pray in faith. And her heart was so convicted. Let me give you another example. When we, when we, um, when we moved into our first home, it was our first home that we got to buy, and I was so excited about it. And Becca was two years old. Zach is just a baby. And we move into this three-bedroom house, and the garage had been converted into an office, and so we had a carport. And so we're in this house, and I'm now feeling overwhelmed with the responsibility of living in a house. And so I began to think about the probability of what can happen. You know, somebody could break in. You know, we live, there's, a not, there's not, a, not a very nice neighborhood, just not very far from where we live. And what if somebody came and tried to break in our house? So I'd make sure all the lights were on. I would double check the doors at night and make sure that they were locked. And, and I would even get up in the middle of the night multiple times and double check the locks again. And if a light burned out, I'd make sure that light got replaced. You see what's happening here? I'm cracking the door. And then Nicole, she would do something that would really bother me. She would back our Suburban up under the carport and leave it open. Well, you would leave it open, too, if you were trying to get nine kids out with her daycare, get them inside, and then try and remember to go back and lock the Suburban, right? And so I was like, honey, please lock the door. So it was 10 o'clock one night. I'm in the bedroom getting ready for bed, and Nicole is in the kitchen, and she yells back to the bedroom and says, honey. I said, yeah. She said, Some, our truck just started. I said, What? And I came running out of the front door just in time to watch my Suburban go drive down the street. 
somebody took, stole my Suburban. That's a humbling feeling, watching your own vehicle drive away. It's like, okay. And uh, so we call the police, file the police report, police come. They leave, and I sit down on the couch, and I said, honey, this is my fault. And she said, what do you mean it's your fault? I said, I opened the door to fear. I've been struggling for the last month of the possibility of somebody stealing our, home, our vehicle, somebody breaking into our house, and I opened the door to fear. So you know what I did? We prayed right then, and I repented. I asked God to forgive me for fear. And then we prayed that our Suburban would come back unharmed because <laughs> we liked our Suburban, and we would like to have our truck back. And we prayed, and do you know what? Within an hour, I had my truck back. That's unheard of. The, the Tulsa police were like, this never happens. I said, glory to God. But doesn't that sound similar to what Job did? Doesn't it? He said, what I greatly feared has come upon me. What I dreaded more than anything has happened to me. So are you opening the door to fear in your own life? Mm. Wow, wow, wow. Man, so how do we face fear? I want to give you some things that God ministered to me, and that I'm going to give you some tools to help you win, all right? Because you know what happened? When I asked God to forgive me, and when, we, when I repented of it, do you know I've not had a single fear of that ever since? There's been some nights where I accidentally left both garage doors open. And I woke up, went outside, and, oh, the garage doors are open. Jesus, thank you. <laughs> thank you for keeping us safe last night because I left the doors open. I'm not saying you, you throw caution to the wind and you're foolish. The Bible says in Psalms, a, a wise man sees trouble coming and hides himself. Okay, I'm not saying we throw caution to the wind. I'm not saying coronavirus, look at us, man. We can't get coronavirus. Whoa, whoa, you're in pride. Hold on, hold on. No, no, but we don't respond in fear. And there's so much fear going on right now. There's so many people that are afraid. Oh, I feel a little twitch. I need to go and get tested. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Your first response should be prayer. Why are you not turning to God first? You know why? Because you've allowed the fear to have more influence on you than your faith. And a lot of that comes back to us feeding on the wrong things. We have to feed our faith. So let me give you these real quick. These are five things right here. Five ways. I'm going to ask the keys to go ahead and come. Five, five ways to face fear. And I heard this and I thought it was so good. These are five things that you do if you're faced with a, a lion in the wild. Come on. All right. The first thing that you do, don't panic. Don't panic. Stop Panicking. You make foolish decisions when you panic. One of my favorite Geico commercials is the Halloween commercial where they're, you know, where they hide behind the chainsaws. It's the chainsaw massacre, you know? And I love the tagline because it says, when you're in a horror movie, you make bad decisions. Let me tell you, when you are panicking, you make bad decisions. Yeah, some of you said that with me. Don't panic. Think about this. Scientists and doctors have found that fear and panic makes you more susceptible and vulnerable to sickness. Huh. That's interesting. 
That sounds like Job. What I feared the most has come upon me. Could it be that sometimes the thing that you are fearing the most is drawing it to you? Opening the door like I did. Instead of panicking, man, it's time to pray. Isaiah 41.10 says, Fear not, for I am with you. Do not be dismayed, for I am your God. I will strengthen you. Yes, I will help you. I will uphold you with my righteous right hand. I don't know if I believe in all that, Phil. I don't know if that panic stuff really works like that. Well, consider this. There was this guy named Nick, and Nick worked for the railroad. And it was, it was late in the evening. One night, it was 5 o'clock, it was almost time for everybody to go home. And he had to go and put something in one of the refrigerated cars. Well, when he did, the door latched behind him. And he didn't realize it. Well, everyone had, were on their way to their cars. And he beat on the door, and he yelled, and nobody heard him because everybody left. And he was in that refrigerated car, and it was dark. It was a little chilly in there. And he thought, oh, dear God, I'm going to die in here. And he began to panic. And he began to run around, look for ways out, and couldn't find a single way out. Finally, he wrote his family a note. The next day, the men that came to work, they opened that car and they found him. He had frozen to death in that car. They found his note. But they found something else interesting. You know what? They found that the car had been unplugged for more than a month. And the temperature reading read 68 degrees in the car. His panic translated into his reality. Literally, when I got, when my dad called me and said, could you come down to the house? My mom doesn't, your mom doesn't feel well. She doesn't look well. Well, my dad never calls me like that. Never does. And so I grabbed my coat and I ran out of the house and I ran down to the, uh, to the sidewalk and I hit it jogging in that direction because they lived three doors down from us at the time. And I was glad they lived so close. And I'm on my way, and the Holy Spirit gripped my heart. He said, Phil, slow down. Get a hold of yourself. And I thought, and I realized I was allowing panic to set in. See, God didn't need me to make bad or poor decisions. (laughs) Needed me to trust Him. And I did. I slowed down. Number two, don't run. You're faced with a lion in the wild. Don't run. You have to take your stand. Lions feel more intimidated when you stand up and you look at them, look at them in the eyeball. Don't flinch. Are you flinching in the face of adversity? Are you flinching when something like what happened with my mom happens? I remember Sugar Ray Leonard. How many of you remember Sugar Ray Leonard right back in the day? He's a great boxer. You remember when he retired and then he came back out of retirement to fight one more fight, didn't he? And, and during that fight, he, which he won, he was being interviewed afterwards. And they asked him, they said, how did you know that you'd be able to fight that guy? He said, well, honestly, I was nervous before the fight. I, I was having to work to keep myself from panicking because it's been a while, it'd been a while since I'd been in the ring. I mean, I trained hard, but I was still nervous. And they said, well, how did you know that you were going to win? And he said, well, it was when the bell rang and it was the first round. And he said, I started loosening up and kind of bouncing around the way that he did. He said, and I flinched, acting like I was going to throw a punch. He said, and I watched that guy totally flinch. He said, and I knew at that moment 
I had him. I knew I was going to win. Was the enemy doing that to you? Is he sowing a thought in your life and waiting to see if you're going to flinch? Do you look at a, a a little bump on your hand and go, that looks like a bump. And then two hours later go, I think that bump has turned into a lump. And then in your mind, you've gone from a bump to a lump to a stump inside of five minutes. Why? Because you've allowed yourself to yield to the possibility that something could happen. People do this. Number four, stay alert. Oh, number three? Number two, that's right. Sorry, number three. Thank you. Yeah, I appreciate help up here. Make some noise. Come on. Make some noise. Lions thrive in silence. And I'm telling you, your enemy thrives in silence. And here's what happens is that he comes with that thought and we don't say anything. I mean, we just sit there like the husband that doesn't say anything. And God needs us to begin to declare what we want to see. Man, it's time to lift up some praise in here, a shout of praise. Man, because I'm telling you, if you don't talk to your mountain, your mountain's going to talk to you. If you don't talk to your giant, he's going to talk to you. Number four. Now, number four. Stay alert. Don't get comfortable thinking about, thinking that you've conquered this thing. Let me tell you, it's time to stay alert. Number five, take your stand. If the lion charges, fight back. Why? Because you'll scare him. Lions are not expecting you to fight back. They're expecting you to be easy prey. And we're not easy prey. And when you fight back, use your sword. Man, don't walk around swordless. You know something that I have in my little phone, my custom vision case, by the way, um, sticker, I'm, I'm teasing, we have some if you want one, but in my phone, on my notes, are all the scriptures, healing scriptures, anxiety scriptures, scriptures on offense, being easily irritated, mind, memory, increase, uh, scriptures I can't tell you about because they're really private, personal, uh, scriptures on relationship, Scriptures on marriage, scriptures on on patience. When I'm being challenged in my patience, I can pull these scriptures out. And you know what I like to do? I like to read them out loud. And you know why? Because when you read something out loud, it bypasses the mind and it goes down to your heart. And that's where you want it to go because you want it to take root and you want it to grow up and produce in your life. I remember, why don't you stand up with me? Because I'm closing right here. My, my daughter was, she had gone from fourth grade to fifth grade. And when she went from fourth grade to fifth grade, the work significantly increased and it changes, you know, in school. And so she was really struggling with the new workload. And she said, I'm, Dad, I'm trying to get the concepts. I'm having difficulty. I'm, try, I, I'm having difficulty in school. And, and I said, you know what? You're so smart. You are so intelligent. You get concepts. In fact, schoolwork comes easy to you. And she looked at me, and fortunately my daughter knows what I'm doing. But what am I doing? 
I'm speaking what I want to see in her life. I'm not speaking what is, because my Bible says to call things that be not as though they were. And so I began to speak that over my daughter. And do you know, man, all of a sudden she started to get concepts. All of a sudden she started to understand. All of a sudden schoolwork became easy to her. I'm telling you, this works. The Word of God will change your situation. And it will change your fear. So I want to challenge you this week. This would is, this is be really good for you. Why don't you try turning the news off? Let me tell you, you're not going to have difficulty keeping up with stuff. Word will get to you. It will. But I think it would do a lot of us a lot of good to turn off the television, to turn off social media, to turn off all those things that are rolling into our lives. And what they're doing is what the, what the media, if you don't see it, is trying to do right now is they are trying to form your thought process. But man, when we take the Word of God and we begin to play it, we begin to read it, put it in our eyes, in our heart, and in our mind, it conforms us to Him. We don't want to be conformed to this world. In fact, it's the Bible says that we're not supposed to be conformed to this world. We're supposed to be transformed by renewing the mind. Thanks for listening to this week's message. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast on iTunes and SoundCloud. Just search Vision Church. If you would like to help support this ministry, you can do so at visionnwa.com forward slash give.